Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith, and it is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief, is with us. Hello, Keith. Good morning, Jody. Good to chat with you. Lots to get to you and I going back and forth last night. You were updating me on a tentative deal reached uh, with regard to the B.C. port strike. What do we know? Yeah, so this is reached with the assistance of a third party. Um, not clear yet whether how substantially different this agreement is to the one that was rejected by the Longshoremen Union's uh, membership uh, recently. So this the vote's going to have to be taken uh, by the end of Friday. Um, and one assumes that uh, one thing I've been led to believe is that probably what has sweetened it here for the union to continue to now recommend uh, acceptance of this offer and ratification is probably some progress is made on the thorny issue and the, really the crux of the issue of the dispute all along, which is jurisdiction uh, when it comes to uh, maintenance work. So there's a lot of maintenance work that's done on the ports. Um, when you think about it, rail lines have to be repaired, cranes, heavy-duty equipment, docks have to be paved. Uh, all this is... is um, uh, the work that's done through contracting out in many cases because the employers argued, well, you're, the longshoremen don't have the skills that required to pave the dock, for example, or to fix the crane. The union, uh, his response said, no, that's not true. We do have some members who have the skill set, and this work should be kept in-house in the hiring hall. And so that was where the breakdown really was in this issue. It wasn't so much about wages. Even automation, as my understanding, wasn't the big issue here. It was who has jurisdiction over maintenance work. The employer uh, had offered to send this or, or proposed to send this thorny issue out to a committee for a form of arbitration that had been rejected. Perhaps that's still there in the agreement, but no, I, uh, both sides have pledged uh, silence on this. They're not going to release details until this is voted on one way or another by both sides. Do you think there would be any pressure felt to, to put this third time lucky uh, tentative deal uh, through when, when we, we are hearing more buzz from federal leaders on the subject of the urgency of this? Yeah, I think, you know, Seamus O'Regan, the, the Labour Minister, has basically signaled that this is going to end one way or another. It's either going to be voted on and accepted by the membership, or he will impose a settlement. Um, if the Canadian Labour Relations Board determines that one cannot be reached at the negotiating table, and here one has been reached, but if this one fails, I think the board would say, well, this is hopeless. I mean, if the membership's not going to accept what is reached at the table from their own negotiators, um, mm. then one assumes a deal would be imposed. And I think that's hanging over the union membership right now, the realization that it's going to end one way or another, either accept the deal or have it imposed on you. And what's imposed may not actually be as rich as, or as use the adjective you want, yeah. lucrative, rich, yeah. generous yeah. as you like, uh, maybe yeah. something else entirely. So I, I, I'd be surprised if this one fails, but uh, we'll know by the end of the week whether the 7,400-person bargaining accepts this or not. Do we have a running tally of how much this strike has cost Canadians? Oh, billions of dollars. I mean, it's about 
uh, estimates are five, 13 days, five to seven hundred million dollars a day, five to eight hundred million dollars a day, and then there's the ongoing, you know, getting uh, t- the backlog that was created has not been. Um, uh, finished yet? Hasn't been met. In fact, it, it, some estimates could uh, that we could get to Christmas before the backlog is completely eliminated. So that costs money as well. So the ongoing numbers here are huge. And you and I have talked before. I mean, the magnitude of a port strike sort of dwarfs all other strikes because it reaches into all sectors of the economy and all sectors of consumers. Um, yeah. You know, I've referred uh, referenced that book before, 90% of Everything, written by a British a journalist, a woman who spent a year on container ships and documented what was in the container ships and found out 90% of all the goods you consume on a daily basis, whether it's your clothing, your food, um, your automobile, the parts you use to fix things, your furniture, everything comes at some point on a container ship. And that's why a port strike is such a huge economic uh, has such huge economic impact. It reaches into so many layers of society. It is really quite something, and you've referenced that container ship that caught fire uh, off the coast and, and just some of the things that we saw washing up on beaches oh, yeah. after, you know. Piano, it, pianos. <laughs> refrigerators. I mean, refrigerators, <laughs> golf clubs, yeah. you know, just everything. Wow. It's just sort of this random yeah. uh, container put together with all sorts of things. Okay, so want to get to, uh, you know, from freighters to ferries we go. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. a topic that, you know, you and I have t- discussed, I don't even know, hundreds of times. You, mm-hmm. you certainly have traveled uh, that particular uh, H2O highway, if you will, uh, more often than most, given where you call home and, and coming back and forth to the mainland. And, and navigating that system can be daunting for people, particularly uh, in peak travel times or when, uh, services get trimmed back in the winter months, uh, as we had a caller earlier point out to us. Can we talk through, Keith, why it is that we find that there is no solution available when it comes to, is it modernization of BC ferries? Well, it's interesting that you just had Trevor Helford on, and I was kind of amused. When, when political parties are in opposition, they like to refer to the ferry system as an extension of the highway system. That was that was the position of the NDP when they were in opposition for 16 years, that the ferry system was an extension of the highway system, therefore it should be funded accordingly, and, and all sorts of things should be applied to ensure that. The B.C. Liberal government of the day uh, staunchly uh, refused to accept that as as, uh, as a policy. Uh, they just rejected out of hand that the highway, the ferries were an extension of the highway system. Now that they're in opposition, <laughs> they're taking the opposition mm-hmm. position. Oh, the highway should be an extension of the high, of the highway system. Um, yeah. Again, that was not the B.C. Liberal position for 16 years. Now it's its successor, BC United, that appears to be their position. The NDP had that position for 16 years. Now it doesn't. And now that they're in government. In terms of the magic solution here, I'm not sure there is one. Um, I pointed out, I think last week, people said we need more ships. Well, the coastal celebration and the coastal renaissance, the two ships that are having the most problems right now, are the newest ships in the fleet in terms of major vessels. So a new ship doesn't necessarily fix things. But BC Ferries has an ongoing capital plant. They're continuing to build ships. Um, one of the big problems is, and we've talked about this before, the ongoing issue of human resource, uh, lack of human resources, staffing levels. There's, Transport Canada requires a certain number of people to be on board a vessel with, with fully um, up-to-date safety certificates and training, which costs money. And if there isn't enough of them, the ship doesn't sail. So all it takes is a couple of people to be absent, um, either through sickness or whatever reason, and suddenly that ship doesn't sail. And we're seeing a, a big uptick 
in that number uh, in the last couple of years for whatever reason. Uh, there just seems to be a chronic staff problem, just like there is in all sorts of sectors, whether it's healthcare or anywhere else. It's uh, staffing now is a is a critical critical issue. It's one thing in healthcare. You know, the hospital remains open if even if there's a big uptick in the people, uh, staff calling in sick. But a ferry, because of Transport Canada rules, the implications are, are more significant because literally the ship cannot leave the dock in, if there's right. not enough people. So mechanical issues. And then you got the IT system, which is a whole new thing, um, which was the problems there magnified last week when the website was just giving out misleading information for some unfathomable reason. It stayed up for a long time, continuing to mislead people. And then ferries, basically, the entire executive disappeared um, and not being publicly accountable. So I think last week was one for the record books in terms of problems at BC Ferries because it was was sailing weights, it was mechanical breakdowns, it was staff shortages, and then it was silence from the leadership of the corporation. Right. Uh, you know what? I want to sneak in a clip here. Tim Tim French, if you don't mind, grab the Renew Bakshi crisis management and media trainer clip. I want this is Renew on Global uh, News discussing the the failure to communicate, if you will. Have a listen. What we've seen with BC Ferries is a complete failure in crisis communication. They need to address the public directly. They need to tell us what went wrong, why it went wrong, what they're doing to make it right. How can this be made right is that what's keeping the the executives from stepping forward because they don't have the answers in this moment it just seems like it seems like a perpetual problem you mentioned last week on this very show i was listening to you and mike chat about this because sometimes a, a, a ship goes out because they need a part and those parts are hard to find then they're hard to get here and then you know to repair can be an issue but also the fact that there aren't full-time you know, uh, 24-7 crews allotted the cost associated with staffing these ships. Growing up in Tawasin, I have lots of friends who work for BC Ferries. A good job, but one you need to live on standby for pretty much. Yeah, we had a call last week pointing out there's a lot of casual work at BC Ferries and not guaranteed shifts all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems to be an issue. And, and Ferries hasn't explained that, again, to explaining things. Um, right. Everything's been left in the hands of someone who's relatively new at Ferries, who's a seasoned communications person, Karen Johnson. I've known her a long time, a lot of time for her, but she suddenly has, is thrown in. You know, feet first into this fire uh, without really uh, a lot of the answers at, at her disposal on some of these technical questions. So, again, it, it has been a failure of communications and ferries, the likes of which we haven't seen for quite some time, at a time when so many things were going wrong at the same time. I mean, we've never had a yeah. problem with the reservation system, the, the um, staffing problem, the mechanical problems, and the website all at the same time, and no one's out yeah. there to explain in any deep way why it's, this is why A, B, C, and D are all happening and why they're all happening at once. And hopefully we're going to get some answers this week. Yeah, I think yeah. the leader, I mean, Joy McPhail stepped up. Now she's giving interviews. Yeah. Hopefully the CEO follows that and makes him, makes himself more visible and more available and explain things because the public right we're now open is to having scratching them on. their heads. Yep. <laughs> at Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith, Baldry's Beat, Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief. Phone lines open for your calls for Keith, 604-280-9898, star 9898, a free call on your cell. Just before the break, Keith, I was mentioning, is hearing the buzz about people going, yeah, you know what, with the way the system's working at BC Ferries, I'm now going on and I'm booking Fridays, Mondays, Sundays, Thursdays, long weekends, short week, extra holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, just going in and booking all of them and just rolling it into the cost of doing business if you have to pay for a cancellation. I think that might be uh, a loophole that needs to be checked within BC Ferries. I just want to put that on the table. I'm not sure if anybody's experienced that or heard about that, but it is a piece of this puzzle uh, I'm finding kind of interesting as, as people are landing in my inbox. Let's head to the phones. Starts with Mark in Nanaimo. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I uh, just wondering that uh, with this Transport Canada thing, uh, wanting so many employees on, if there are less employees, could they not just take less passengers and keep the, what they can moving minimal? Not sure that's how it works. Uh, I, I have heard that there is a ratio um, system on some vessels, but I'm not entirely sure if, if that's the case. And in any event, I don't think a solution is leaving you know 100 people at the dock. Um, because you're down a couple people on on the vessel, but like I say, uh, this has been an issue. I'm going to say it's contentious, but I remember talking to David Hahn about this a number of years ago, and Ferries was concerned that Transport Canada was arbitrarily increasing some of these these requirements without um, the sign off of, of of BC Ferries, whether it was adequate or not. All right, let's uh, go down the phone boards here. 604-280-9898, star 9898. Bob in Surrey, you're up next. Welcome to the show. Your question for Keith. Yeah, hi. I'm just wondering how come on these executives, it seems like it's a, like a private club. If you're a politician, you get appointed to a board, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just wondering if they really have the best people uh, running these uh, crown corporations. Well, I mean, um, Nicholas Jimenez, who's the CEO of BC Ferries, has been given quite a bit of credit for turning ICBC back into shape. I mean, he was the CEO there, over, oversaw some huge changes at ICBC and drastically changed and improved its bottom line and, and arguably saved the corporation. So, yeah, I think he's uh, he's uh, well qualified in that position. He's brand new at BC Ferries. He's only been there for a few months. Uh, but we haven't heard from him in this last critical week, and I think the pressure's on him to come out and, and sort of display his skill set publicly. And the same with other crowds. I mean, oh. Chris O'Reilly at BC Hydro has been there for a number of years, and yeah. Hydro's building you know billions of dollars every year in terms of infrastructure and, and, and stuff. So I, I don't question the the um, skills of some of the CEOs of Crown Corps. I mean, they're there because uh, they've got experience. Yeah, earning your space doesn't doesn't take away from the dumpster fire, but if you can turn it around, it's certainly a medal on your on your chest. Now let's go to Chris and Penn Tickton. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thank you so much. Always love uh, this uh, segment. Always enjoy your um, feedback, uh, Keith. It's absolutely wonderful. I think part of the problem we're running into now, it, you know, we were so prudent and worrying about our debt that for many years we weren't actually upgrading our infrastructure, and I think this plays 
you know, not just the hospitals, ferries as well, highways, the whole nine yards. We've, we've dropped the ball, and we're now seeing it completely unfold in front of us. Well, infrastructure is always an ongoing concern. And if you think we've got infrastructure issues right now, just wait a few years. Like, just for example, most of the sewage pipes um, were laid back in the 50s and 60s. I mean, so much of our infrastructure was, was put in place in the post-World War II. And a lot of that is coming due for replacement or fixing. And it goes well beyond ferries. It's just your municipalities are going to feel a big infrastructure hit in the years ahead. Some of that was exposed in the atmospheric river events where all sorts of things were pointed out, boy, we're going to have to have different types of pipes now, larger pipes, bigger basins, drainage basins and such. So that's just a a type of infrastructure that's going to be, uh, have some urgency attached to it in the, in the coming years. BC Ferries is in the midst of a huge capital uh, program and plan building vessels and, uh, you know, horseshoe bays uh, to be undergo a, a radical restructuring in terms of the infrastructure there, the terminal out there. So ferries isn't a big capital plan, but is it big enough? Uh, right now, uh, I think the traveling pu- public right now, I don't think much is going to satisfy them.